Welcome to Taking Back Birth, a podcast for women who know the truth about birth and those who want to explore the path of radical birth love. I'm your host, Marin Green. Taking Back Birth celebrates the power you have to make decisions in alignment with your own truth. Decisions not subject to anyone else's authority. Decisions that create experiences that will change your life. Taking Back Birth is a production of the Indie Birth Private Contract Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Welcome to Podcast Sunday. It is a rainy, drab, gloomy day here in Kentucky. And I could spend more time complaining about that. But yesterday was sunny and warm-ish. And we spent most of the day outside at a creek, just kind of playing in the rocks and walking along. So I will cease complaining for now. However, (laughs) uh, it does lead into an update first before I launch into a mothering podcast, which is long overdue. So long overdue. 10 kids, mothering is what I do all of the time. (sighs) I don't know. I don't know where these podcast episodes have gone, but here we are. Here we are. And the update first is just a brief recap of 2023 so far, which we're only 29 days in, but happy 2023, happy year of the water yin rabbit in the Chinese New Year. It is destined, it seems, for it to be a year of growth and joy and luck, lots of luck, allegedly associated with the water rabbit. So I am looking forward to that. And already this year feels great to me. It feels way different than last year. It feels more relaxed in some ways and surprising in its intensity in other ways. As many of you know, Margot and I journeyed to the island of Oahu early January. And We did teach a retreat for uh, midwives for beginning or not even for potential for potential midwives. And that was great. And I could say more about that perhaps on a birth podcast. But the journey really was spirit led. I had had a dream, as I've shared, a couple months prior, just, you know, dreams are what they are sort of felt out of the blue because It wasn't something I had been thinking about or had heard about. And to be honest, at that moment in time, I don't think I even knew that Oahu was an island uh, in, you know, in Hawaii. So I had this dream that Margo and I went to Oahu and we taught a retreat. So we started the wheels turning for that. And it really happened so seamlessly as those things do. And then somewhere along the line, I had another dream that Jason and I were in together and we were walking the sandy beach and actually there was a lot of mud on the beach, whatever that means, but it was beautiful and we were in Hawaii and we had moved there. And I remember waking up and thinking that's so weird, like that has never, ever crossed my mind, nor has really visiting, to be honest, like in all of my years, I, you know, have known many people go there 
um, many connections actually in Sedona to Maui in particular, but I had never felt led to go there. So life is surprising. And here we are back from our trip. And it was amazing. The retreat was amazing. The women there, the midwives there, we had such a great social time. And then we also had a really nourishing and refreshing alone time, for lack of a better phrase. We stayed at a really nice resort on the North Shore and everything we needed was there, even though we had a car and we did go out and do things. But really, for me, with 10 kids, not having any of them, well, that's a lie. I had Amelia, who's the oldest, but she doesn't feel like a kid. So I didn't have anyone to take care of. And that alone was obviously a huge vacation. So I was content to just watch the water. The Pacific Ocean in Hawaii is mind-blowing. And I've been to the Pacific Ocean before, but it does not look the way it looks there. And the land itself, the energy of the land is so ancient and so deep. And really, that was enough for me to just sit in that space, watch the waves, watch the surfers, And that was all. That was all I needed to do. So it was hard to come home. I really, really missed my kids, as I shared on a podcast right before I left, that I was going to miss Rumi, that he didn't get to nurse, obviously, for the whole nine days. And so we survived that, and he's still nursing like a champ. Um, But I missed him. My body missed him as I knew it would. And I missed all of the kids. I could see them there, and they would have had the best time. They would have had the best time just on the beach and in the water. They don't really need more than that in a lot of ways too. So I miss them and I miss Jason so much. I really wished he could have been with me because it was such a special trip and it felt, again, so divinely led and like my soul was calling me to be there. And I actually cried. I actually cried when we left Um, just because my body felt so great there with the salt water and the sun in particular, the sun and the fact that it never gets below, I don't know what, 70 or 60 degrees or something like that all year. And I don't even know why else. I believe, I suppose that we're, we're many thousands of lifetimes in at this point. So just because we don't have direct ancestry to a specific place doesn't mean anything. Because if we've lived enough lifetimes, we probably have a connection to many, many places in ways that our brains cannot understand. So I'm going with that at the moment that there was some kind of really ancient uh, connection with the land there. And I did make sure to do my best to express gratitude to the land for even inviting me and for showering us with the sun and the fun and the water. And of course, offering a humble prayer of return if that should be so with the intention of just being in love, you know, just being in love there, not wanting anything from the land, of course, Hawaii, as many other places, and Sedona, where we lived, was one of them, um, is a tourist destination. So I feel as careful as I can be in my own knowingness 
that adding to the tourist industry is not something I'd want to do. I've been on the other side. We all have uh, in our family. Our family has been on the side where we're the locals and tourists are just really fucking annoying. I'll be honest. It's really hard to live in a tourist town and people throw trash around and they don't respect the land and, you know, they're just coming for their little vacation and it's really, really irritating. And of course, um, isn't the reason we left Sedona, but it's something we don't really miss. So here I found myself on the other side of the coin being a tourist. And so with my desire to go back to Hawaii as soon as possible, and that's a whole other topic, I am clear in my heart that it is not to gain anything. It's just to have the experience for myself and my family of connecting to the land, of connecting to the energies there, of being led by our souls for whatever reason. I'm not sure. I don't know if we're being led there just to get a break from Kentucky life. I don't know if maybe I'm being led there for birth-related reasons. I have no idea. So with as much humility as I can, it's just a constant, um, you know, spiritual and emotional connection to the land, to being there. And again, asking humbly to be invited back and to make the path clear if that is what is meant to be. So what does that look like on the practical? It looks like I can't wait to get back to Hawaii as soon as possible. I'm not sure what island we will be called to as a family, Oahu is great and beautiful, and if it wasn't totally cost prohibitive to live there on the North Shore, that would probably be my first choice just because that's where I've been and the beaches are beautiful. And my daughter Amelia actually landed a job while we were there. So she's pretty magical on her own. So that would be another motivation for being on that island. But I'm not quite sure that's where we're being called. So we are open at this moment to being called to, I suppose, any any of the islands in Hawaii. And in my human brain, our timeline is this spring. I do have some hopefully amazing and stupendous births to attend here this winter into early spring. And then by May, I should be free and clear. Um, I will be clear and ready to move on to the next adventure. And at this point, our intention is to find a place in Hawaii for the family for six months. So nothing crazy, nothing drastic. We're not moving. People have asked me (laughs) all kinds of ways and, you know, been concerned or not concerned and had all kinds of questions. No, we're not moving. We're keeping our house in Kentucky, which I love. And if I could move my house, I totally would. It's not worth selling it. It's a really beautiful house and property for us to come back to at whatever point. So whether that's at six months, whether we decide to stay longer, I have no idea. We're really just going to go with the flow, which in some ways is really hard for me as well. So if you're someone that's like, oh my God, I don't know how they're going to do that with, you know, we'll have, I guess, eight kids with us. The two, the two older ones are kind of doing their own thing. So how are those people going to do that? And it's like, I don't know. I just know that we will. And we've had the experience of magic happening so often in our lives that we do trust it. We wound up here in Kentucky by sheer magic. We have a beautiful home and property by sheer magic. So I trust that if we're supposed to be there in Hawaii, we will. And maybe it won't be May 1st. Maybe it won't be till later in the summer that things work out. I'm really not sure. 
but I can feel it. I can feel that we have ties. I can feel the call. Um, and I'm trying my best to balance the external. So looking for properties, talking to people, making connections, which I have done a whole lot of with the unseen, with the balance of the magic that we can work in our own consciousness and our own reality. So for me, that looks like just imagining being there, just feeling my, my feet on the sand at the beach, seeing my children happy and playing in the water, feeling the sun on my skin, and just really deeply viscerally feeling that sense of peace and love and and just sheer joy that I felt while I was there. I know many people feel like that about Hawaii, and that's been a cool way to connect with people I don't even know all over the world that have had the same experience of going and saying, oh my gosh, my heart, that's where my heart wants to be. And you know, in all of my 45 years, I've never had that experience. Um, I've lived many, many different places. Jason and I have both. We have moved so many times. We have lived in the West. We have lived in the East. We now live centrally. Like we've lived so many places in this country. And those have all been spirit led as well. Really. I mean, none of it has been forced, but this feels entirely different. So again, don't know what it means. Don't know if it will manifest in the way I'm imagining. I think it will eventually. But there is also a lot, logistically speaking of mothering, (laughs) a lot to take care of. So not only do I have to find a place or spirit, of course, is leading us to that place. So I reform my words. Uh, Spirit is leading us to a beautiful place that will be comfortable for all of us. Perhaps even our dog. We have many dogs, as you all know, and I am considering bringing my dog with us. But man, uh, the restrictions and rigmarole and bureaucracy around bringing a dog from the mainland to Hawaii is really intense. I'll just leave it there because you don't need to know if you don't need to know. (laughs) I wouldn't want to know if I didn't need to know. It's crazy. So I'm not quite sure that'll even work out, but that's for another day. So that is what we are attracting. And then, of course, we have a million things here we would have to take care of for us to be able to leave for six months. And again, I feel so grateful to have this house, to have this be our home base. I know we can find a really beautiful person or couple to live in our house while we're gone and take care of the animals. It would be a stretch to call it a farm. So maybe that's for the best since that can be intimidating. It's certainly not a farm. We've just got a couple of acres and a whole lot of chickens and cats that need to be fed. And of course, the dogs that are kind of like human babies to us. So um, I will be compiling more information about that once I find a place for us to be in Hawaii, which I hope is soon, of course. Once I check that off the list, then I will move on to who may be suitable to live in our house while we are not there. And I'm hoping, of course, uh, as someone in the indie birth community, not that I know everybody out there, but I would feel much more reassured than, you know, finding someone I completely didn't know um, off the internet. That's just not our vibe. And that's actually been part of the challenge, in a sense, of finding a house in Hawaii is just, I don't do all that corporate bullshit. Um, I'm not filling out an app on Zillow with 
all of my personal info. I'm just not going to do that. I want a personal connection. I want to have a conversation with another human about their house, you know, and I want to be um, in a heart space, frankly, of it. I don't want to just rent anyone's house. I want it to be the right people, just as they should want it to be the right people. And, you know, we don't have to be best friends, but certainly there's an exchange of energy when you live in someone's house. So I'm looking for that on both sides. And, that might sound crazy. And even in my own moments, I'm like, oh, wow, maybe Marin, you should chill out a little bit or, you know, make a compromise here. And I just cannot. So we will be continuing to attract what feels right on both sides. And so putting it out there early, I suppose, to Indie Birth World, um, if you're someone, maybe you're a single person or again, a couple, I think would be best to live in our house. Um, probably pretty close to rent free is what I'm imagining at the moment. In exchange for being an animal lover, that might be just the thing for you for six months. And the timing is funny, right? Uh, Winter here sucks, won't lie. But at the moment, if we do leave May 1st, then whoever gets to enjoy our house for six months will actually have really great weather. Kentucky is really gorgeous during the spring and summer. Um, It does get hot, but we have air conditioning and, you know, there's water around. So actually, it's an ideal time to visit Kentucky and, you know, live in a house and take care of animals. So tuck that into your back pocket. Maybe you know someone and just be looking in the future for more information from me and we'll figure it out. Thanks for listening to that long update. It is good to share. And oh, last question. You know, I I posted a similar Hawaii thing on my Instagram, my personal Instagram, which if you don't follow, by the way, is magicalmama.org. And people were wondering, well, what happened to the Indie Birth Sanctuary? And this is not going to be a birthy podcast, but just for 30 seconds. Nothing happened to the Indie Birth Sanctuary. We are still very much waiting for this to appear. And we did have an eye on a property here in Kentucky. We still do. And if that should work out, if somehow $3 million should fall from the sky, then I'll probably be here doing that, you know. Uh, So time will tell and spirits will call. That is how I see it. We're not directly affecting any of these things um, in the external. We're sort of waiting for them to manifest. So uh, I could wind back up in Kentucky for the sanctuary and I would be happy and pleased about that, especially with the property that we've been looking at. It's gorgeous. It's 300 acres and amazing. So I'm up for that. And then on the other side, I have no idea. And we've said from the beginning, me, Margot, Dr. Stu, Nathan, um, we've said from the very beginning, we don't know where this will be. And I've had my own colleagues remind me of that, right? Because I've been like, oh, this property here in Kentucky, we need this one. And they've all been like, maybe, you know, maybe that's it. Maybe it's not. And so that was hard to hear initially. It was like, no, it's here. And now I'm the one that's like, maybe it's not. Hawaii would be an amazing location for a sanctuary. So I don't know. I've said that 10 times now, but I don't know. I really, really am being led by spirit through this. And so I'll keep you posted. There's nothing, you know, no ulterior motives going on. There's no secret about that. It's all just where it's meant to be is where it will be. Okay, so that's it for the personal update, although it does 
sort of intertwine in a sense with this mothering chat about money. Hats off to Lauren, I believe, who wrote me an email asking me to talk about this. And at first I was like, didn't I already talk about that? But she was right. I have not done a podcast on money for lack of a better phrase around how we handle that with our kids. Do we pay them to do stuff? Are there chores? She had all kinds of great questions. And so I'll do my best to kind of outline what our scenario is in our home just for fun. (sighs) Tea break, tea break. As always, I like to just give a little of my own history because we don't parent out of nowhere. We use our own experiences as kids, as young adults, and we remember the way our parents parented us. So we might choose, of course, to imitate that, to emulate that. There are things we all, I'm sure, liked about the way we were parented. And then there are things we want to change. So I grew up in a household with just one sibling, quite different than my children. My parents didn't want a lot of children, obviously, and my sister and I were quite spoiled, and I don't think she listens to this podcast, but (laughs) I know she would agree, and I don't think every house with two children is spoiled. I have no idea, actually, but I could see that that would be possible more often in a way because two is an equal number, and if there are two parents in a household, Sometimes it winds up, right? Tit for tat. Uh, She gets that, then she gets that. And that's kind of how it was for us growing up. We were kind of spoiled. And I can't really recall a lot of um, things I wanted that I didn't get. Although I don't think I was the most materialistic child. And especially this was so long ago, we didn't have computers, we didn't have cell phones. So all of that was out of the picture. But my parents did a really awesome job of providing for us. They both worked really hard at jobs. And that is still a point of difference between us in parenting and not something we talk about really with my parents because they've been there, done that, and they're not going to change their views. So when we talk about money, I don't know how not to talk about this idea of job and working and this American dream of slaving away for all of your years until you get to retirement. That's the path my parents chose. And, you know, they're happy. They're living well. They're in their 70s. And they worked really hard their whole lives. They had jobs. They worked for other people primarily, although they did dabble a tiny bit in their own businesses. But That was not the bulk of their working years or their money, I don't believe, uh, like their income. So that is what was modeled for me. It was modeled for me that you go to college, you get a good job, and you do that. I was a different sort of child, as I've shared. I was different, I think, from the moment I was born, and I had no interest in that. I was smart, in quotes, right? Like the way school puts people in boxes. Um, I was smart and I got great grades and I even got a full scholarship to my all girls high school that I went to. So I could have 
in theory, done probably anything I had wanted to do. And at one point, I did think of becoming a doctor. My parents were, of course, very supportive of that path. And lo and behold, um, and I say this with a giggle, I disappointed them by becoming a musician. Still so funny because I don't actually do that anymore. And even though that was a long time ago, um, to this day, my parents have never really seen anything that I do. Like they have never seen it. They only see what they're familiar with. So to cut to the chase there, even though there's a whole lot of story in between, because Jason and I have never had jobs, because we've never had benefits, because we've never had whatever all that nonsense is, um, they don't see they don't see us in that way. So I'm sure they wonder, right? How, how do they feed 10 children? How do they do this or that? But they never really ask. I mean, they know we have businesses, but I think it's just so mysterious to them. And honestly, I think their belief system is so solid around the fact that there is a way to do this. There is a way to be an adult, a successful adult, <laughs> at least in this country. And they just don't comprehend. They don't comprehend the path that we've taken. So a little off track from money, but I did not go the preferred route. And speaking of money, I remember being, hmm, I mean, I I was probably 10 years old when I started babysitting. I remember that being my first job outside of the house. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But um when I was paid for babysitting, which I remember, I got paid $5 an hour. There was one child next door that I watched. And I would just hide all the money in my room, which, you know, is normal. I think kids do that. But I started to amass a very large amount of money. I really wasn't a big spender. And it felt so good to save. And I remember these little containers. I used to roll up money and stuff it in there and hide them in my drawer. And, you know, no one cared. No one was looking. But it's just something that felt good to me as a child, which I think is so fascinating because I still love to do that. Um, I, I am the saver amongst Jason and I. And that is, you know, he calls me the squirrel. I'm always squirreling money away. And um, even though a 10-year-old doesn't necessarily know how the world works, I knew way back then that I didn't trust banks, uh, that I didn't want anyone else touching my money. So I just think it's funny because I still feel that way. And, you know, we do ha- we do put our money in the bank, but a lot of it we don't. And so um, just interesting to think maybe for all of us about the ways we were brought up with money and the patterns that were set in us. And, you know, where did that come from? I'm not really sure. Uh, In my parents' arrangement, my mom was the money person. She was the one that paid the bills. She was the one that knew how much and when and all of that. And my dad, and maybe to this day, this is still true. I'm not sure. um, He's pretty clueless. Like he obviously made money and he probably made the bulk of the money in that traditional way, but he had no idea about any of it. So I find that interesting. And uh, yeah, just thinking about roles and and all of that around money. So as I got older, again, I was into music very early. I knew I wasn't going to do uh, schooling, like college around any other kind of topic. And I, of course, had jobs growing up. 
that were sort of fun, but I never took them seriously. I hated the idea of a job. And funny enough, I still do. I would never want to answer to someone. I am way too stubborn and independent. And I mean, you could say whatever, arrogant. I don't want to listen to someone. I don't think someone knows better than me for me. And I want to make my own stuff. So even though I'm not a musician anymore, midwifery, uh, indie birth, all of the things I do really feel similar. They are creative and there's no one that's going to tell me how to do that. And there's no one I would do that for other than myself. (sighs) So growing up, um, let's see, I worked as a a referee, a soccer referee, and that was really horrible. Uh, Parents screaming at you all the time. Um, who take soccer really seriously, make a lot of the refs cry. So I didn't do that for very long. Although I remember the pay being pretty good. What else did I do? Babysitting. Um, I didn't have time for a lot because I was in music. And to my parents' credit, they they did support in that way. They did support financially. So they never told me I had to pay for any of my music-related stuff And they never told me that I needed to go out to get a job as a teenager to be able to fund it. I'm very, very grateful for that. They were very giving in that way. Even though they didn't really understand, uh, they were very giving. So I didn't have so many jobs. Um, I worked in college at a restaurant. And that was a really fun, like personal kind of arrangement. It was really tiny. And the guy that owned it was super sweet and would give us free food all the time. And I lived upstairs, Jason and I did. Uh, So I have really good memories of that job. And after I graduated from college was when I really got a taste of the world in that way of jobs and money. And it was really unpleasant. To be a musician is rough. I think most people know that. Even if you're solidly trained as we were, even if you went to one of the best music schools in the whole world, which we did, it's still really tough. You get out of music school And there's just not a lot going on. And if I look back and I think how I could have been more creative, maybe I would have stayed in it, right? Because no matter what you do, even if you're a midwife, you got to figure out how you're going to do it or else you're just like everyone else. And, you know, what is the point to me? So back then I didn't think that way. And I was just doing music the way everyone did it. And I was going to all the auditions that everyone went to. And I think I've mentioned this before, but you go to a, an audition for, you know, let's say playing oboe in the Los Angeles Philharmonic, which is like a huge opportunity. Um, and I did go to that audition many, many years ago, but 500 people will show up, 500. And you get about 30 seconds to play. And then, you know, they whittle people down, kind of like one of those reality shows. (laughs) So there's just not money in music the way we were doing it. And that was disheartening, of course, because Jason and I were both in music. So we really were making next to nothing. We did have really cool opportunities come our way. Uh, We lived in New York City for a while for free in an apartment that a church gave us for free because he was the organist. So we were able to manifest even back in the day before we knew about any of that or knew how powerful we were or any of it. We may do. We may do as musicians. It was very rough and tough. And somewhere along the line, after college, I think we lived in Nashville, Tennessee, 
which was, oh my gosh, that was so rough because I was trained as a classical musician, not a country musician. (laughs) And there was just next to no work in Nashville. So I worked at a temp or I worked, I, I got a job through a temp agency. I don't even know if those still exist. Do they? Were they like assign you a job? Oh God, it was so horrible and I hated it. But I felt guilty. You know, Jason was out. I can't even remember what he did. Something equally as shitty, not music. He was out working every day. We didn't have kids. Um, And I just felt bad. Like, I have got to contribute here. You know, we don't make any money as it is. I'm just sitting home practicing all day and I've got to do something else. So um, I got a job through a temp agency and worked at, gosh, what was it? Um, Like a physical therapy center. And funny, I was really good at it. Like I had to bill insurance and I had to do all this kind of admin stuff. And I liked it okay. The best part about working there was it was like a fitness center essentially. So on my breaks, on my lunch, I was able to work out and use the gym. And that was like the only saving grace of that job. (laughs) Um, And I did that for a little while. But I remember coming home, especially in the winter, And just being so depressed, like how could I have spent all day in a building with basically no sun at a desk except for that one hour? It was just like, what is the point of life? And I still feel that way. If, you know, something really crazy happened and I had to go back to that world, I don't know. I don't know how I would actually cope and I don't know how people do unless that's their heart, right? I mean, if you want to run a physical therapy center or work at one, and that's your heart, it's going to feel good. But for me, it was just an absolute drain. Eight hours a day for not that much money. They take out taxes. It was like, is this life? Is this what parents really want for their children? I just could not imagine, even though I wasn't ready to have kids. I was miserable. So um, let's see, what else did I do during that time? Oh, I worked in the mall. That was fun. I worked, I mean, it really wasn't. I worked in the mall in Nashville. I worked at Eddie Bauer, the clothing company, and I hated it so much. So I sound like such a little whiner um, and that's okay. I probably was, eh. but the truth is I could not do those jobs now. I could not, I don't think. Um, So I was in this dark mall all day. It was a similar thing. The people were just kind of like, eh, that I worked with. And it was so fake. I still remember, and this is like 25 years ago at this point, the, the stupid way these corporate places train people, right? Um, like people would walk in and you would have to say, just bullshit, you know, things you didn't mean. Um, how you doing today? It's like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care how you're doing. I'm just wanting to sell clothes so I can make a commission so I can buy food. Like, it's just a sad reality retail for one thing of life, right? That, that that's the way our world is. So again, Um, I know it's bratty and there are maybe people that really are grateful for those jobs or enjoy them, but I wasn't really either of those things and I couldn't wait to quit. I don't know how long I worked there. It could not have been long, but it was miserable. I just mostly hated the fake part of it. It was so fake just to make commissions um, on, on clothes. And now when I walk into malls, I do have more compassion because nothing has changed Nothing has changed in 25 years. You still get someone coming up to you saying, hey, how you doing? And you're like, good, (laughs) thanks. Can I help you? Um, No, thanks, just looking. So, but you know, I know under there that they're really wanting to make a sale. It's just, 
ah, it's a shitty way to survive. And I don't even mean retail per se. I mean like the way the world is set up that we just work ourselves into a death until death. And, you know, that's sort of the worst case scenario. And that's a lot of people's real lives. And again, I do have compassion for that. But I think the desire to create and the really the lack of desire to live that kind of life um, steered me, is that a word? Steered me in the direction that I needed to go. And again, it wasn't all roses. Jason and I had many, many years uh, at least where, you know, we couldn't pay rent or we were behind a month or two, um, even when Amelia was born, even when Negan was born. And I've shared about his birth. uh, We couldn't pay our midwife. We met her at 38 weeks. We didn't have X thousands of dollars. We did end up paying her though, because it was important to us. And I can't even remember how exactly that manifested. So things worked out for us. We didn't have a lot. Uh, We were probably, you know, um, on the poverty scale when we were young with young kids. I remember literally some days only having $20 in the bank and having to buy food with that for, you know, one child. So I've been there. That was not fun. That was not stressful or not stressful. That was definitely stressful. Oh my gosh. Uh, I remember, you know, maybe asking Jason in the morning before he left for work, like, okay, what's the scenario today? Like, do we, how much money do we have? So that I would know, you know, what I could go buy for dinner or not. Um, So I have so much gratitude, of course, for being older, um, for, you know, having many years now behind me of my own business as as Jason does as well. But not discounting the fact that it is really rough um, in this world, in this country, maybe in this culture to survive. It really is. And Many people, I'm sure, don't feel like they have the luxury of following their heart, of following their creativity. So when I look back on us, I wouldn't say we thought we had that luxury. We just, in our hearts, had no other choice. And, you know, Jason has his own history of working. He sold cars for a while, which is hilarious because he's like the least pushy person you'll ever meet. He worked at Wells Fargo Bank, which also is hilarious And actually, um, just sharing a bit of his story that I know he won't mind. It was after he was in a car accident going to work at this Wells Fargo bank when Amelia was a tiny baby um, that he kind of woke up to his life's purpose or one of them. It was not serious in the sense of, you know, he didn't, thank God, get seriously hurt, but it did total the car and it totally scared him. And, you know, you don't have to believe what I do, of course, But I don't think those things happen by accident, right? Uh, It doesn't mean we're bad or wrong or, you know, whatever, if we find ourselves um, in an accident like that, for example. But for him, it was a direct message from spirit, even though we wouldn't have talked that way back then, to change what he was doing. It was a huge wake up call. He quit the bank. And I want to say ever since then, he's been on his own in his own business of one kind or another. And again, starting your own business when you're whatever he was, 27 years old, um, he had computer skills other than music. That was about it. And again, it was rough. We then moved to Chicago and he 
kind of did house calls for computer problems. So, you know, it was a smart idea. It was not smart in some ways because he was kind of on call. He was almost like an on-call computer guy. Um, the city, you know, traveling in the city is sort of rough. But anyway, he he was doing his best as a man and as a dad to make ends meet. And he certainly did. He didn't make a ton of money, but people liked him. He got experience. And I think most importantly, he got the experience of having his own business and, and slowly figuring that out. Because again, I don't think that's something that for most of us happens overnight, right? We hear about these online internet sensations that, oh my gosh, they made whatever, a billion dollars in a day. Um, that's not really the way it happens. And I don't even know how that happens because that's never happened to me. <laughs> I just want to say it's been a long and slow journey. So when it comes to money and it comes to our kids, I'm sharing this because this has been our life. This has been the way we've raised them. There are people, you know, even Margot, my dear, dear friend, who of course I respect and love, um, money coaching and and budgeting. And it was like, we couldn't do that when we were young. (laughs) We couldn't do that because we had no idea what was coming. So I remember trying. I remember doing Dave Ramsey and putting money in envelopes. And you know, we did the best we could. Maybe it helped a little bit. But my point is, we've never had stability in that way. And we still don't. I mean, you know, whatever money we make could change tomorrow. We don't have someone else paying us. We don't have a guaranteed salary. And again, for us, that's been the way to go. We don't wish for that even though there's uncertainty. So we've gotten used to the uncertainty. My major point being that this is how our children have been raised. Um, That money is something you create and we are vast creators and we need to look within to ourselves and our talents if we want to generate that abundance. And of course, money is only one form of abundance, right? Wealth. Uh, we are so wealthy. We are so wealthy in a million ways in the in the relationships that we have and in our partnership with our healthy children. So money is just one piece of the puzzle, but also it's very obvious. And with kids, it needs to be clear that that's the way the world does work at this moment. So, you know, there are other ways of exchange, but but money, money is needed. And having two children that are now 18 and older, um, Egan is still at home. He's 18, but he is very much in his money-making mode. And that's really fun to see. So just a little history on him. Um, I don't think he'll mind me sharing this, but he's been making music. He's been making music as, um, you know, a computer, computer music. I don't know if that's the right word. He would probably shudder. I'm sure there's a better way to say it. Uh, He makes music on his computer. He was never trained as a musician. However, he's really good. And he's been doing it since he was about 15 years old. So a couple of years now, I think he's fairly well known in this world of beats and producers and all of this lingo. And so he's been making a little bit of money for the last couple of years. So he sells beats online and he makes money and some are cheap and some are exclusive and more expensive. Um, And Jason has really been his business coach, right? So it is so cool, I think, that my kids have this experience um, of creating from the beginning as a way of generating 
whatever money they need rather than, and you know, this isn't a judgment. It's just not how we've done things, but rather than, Hey, Egan, go out and get a full-time job at something you hate so that you can make money. Uh, we have not ever said that. And Jason actually is way more, (laughs) um, emphatic about that, you know, to some of the kids like Amelia, I've said, Hey, like, you know, go work at a juice shop. Uh, Maybe you'll meet some people. And I think that's fine. She should totally do that if she wants. But Jason's always like, well, that doesn't make any sense because she could make, you know, $200 in an hour taking photographs. So why would she work at a juice shop? But anyway, um, these are things our kids will also figure out and they get to decide. We certainly don't care if they want to go get a job. But Egan has not. He's not ever been interested. I don't know what that job would possibly be. And the same is true for him. If he can make, you know, X amount of dollars by selling beets. And even if we equated that to an hour, there's no comparison. There's no comparison. So um, he's so cute. Egan is. He was wanting to make extra money as of late because he is currently in Sedona visiting his longtime girlfriend. So, you know, wanted extra money to go on this trip. And uh, Jason's kind of been coaching him, not just in business, but really it's life. It's like life coaching, right? What, What any of us wouldn't have given, I think, for that kind of coaching growing up. So anyway, um, Egan is not unfamiliar with all of these things that I've shared. And he decided that he wanted to make $1,000 in a month. Like that's kind of where he's at. And he set this intention and he made his $1,000 in 17 days. So I was like, wow, kid, you're powerful. You're really powerful. So next time, um, you know, it's not a matter of being like greedy. It's like, this is your capacity for abundance and creation, right? And that brings in that whole other thing. Like, why is it greedy? Why do sometimes we say things like that? Do we think that attracting money is bad? Um, I I don't know if I'm going to go into that now, but you know, we all wrestle with those questions at different times. And I know Jason in particular did grow up with kind of that savior complex around money. His parents never had any, and they thought people that had money were bad. So you know, he should do a podcast on that, but he's worked through that. Uh, So not passing that on to our kids. Um, So right, I said to Egan, that's awesome. So next time say 2000 or 3000 and see what happens. And that's really, really fun to see. Um, Amelia is a photographer, as many of you know, and similar for her. Uh, She's a great manifester. So if she kind of decides she wants to do something like move to Oahu it happens. It happens for her. And it's like the red carpet unfolds and she gets what she needs. Sometimes it's given. Uh, She was given a car to borrow the last time she was in Sedona. She was um, offered housing in Sedona for, you know, an eighth of the price that anybody should live in Sedona for nowadays. So she also really has a way with attracting abundance, which is very cool. And, you know, it's been really awesome and I'm sure we'll continue to be, to walk alongside her and see her develop her business. So again, she didn't go to college. Um, We did not encourage that for any reason. It didn't make any sense at all. She was taking professional photographs from the time she was 16. Uh, But back to my parents, you know, that's always their funny thing. Sometimes my dad will send me job listings for Amelia and there'll be photography jobs. And it's just funny because it's like, okay, 
you know, you obviously don't really understand what she does and that's okay. I know you care. And funny irony, Amelia did get a job, as I mentioned, in Oahu um, as a photographer, but it's not a like corporate, um, you know, tie to anything and it's not salaried and it's not even dictated in any way a job is. It's essentially an independent contractor thing. So it kind of reminds me back of when we were musicians, right? We were never hired on by anything. It's not even really a a thing in the music world, Um, but you're contracted. You're contracted for gigs. So same for Amelia. So she has, you know, that little bit of security, but honestly, she's starting right off with the lack of stability uh, as well. Although I think there's so much beauty in that and and the creativity is so vast. Um, But, you know, she's been looking for a room in Oahu. It's quite expensive to live there. And she's already trying to figure it out, right? Like if a room is, and let's say on average rooms are $1,000 a month uh, just for a room, then yeah, how's she going to make that happen? And I'm sure Margot actually will be a great help with her budget work. But the bottom line is at the moment, Amelia doesn't know because she's not guaranteed a number of contracted jobs through where she'll be working. It's kind of like whoever comes. And so uh, she'll have to sort of get out there and manifest and take photos and maybe come up with, you know, fun places to go and meet people. And I don't know, when we were there, there were many photographers just on the beach, kind of offering themselves, right, like at at a discount almost. And, you know, I think that's that's great. And for a young, a young photographer, uh, she could do that too. You know, want a want a picture of you surfing 50 bucks. That's kind of what was happening. So anyway, she is going off on this adventure soon. And I know a lot of parents would think it was crazy. A lot of parents would be like, well, you can't do that. You don't have this much money in the bank. And how are you going to pay rent? And how are you going to buy a car? And I really trust her. I really trust her to do it. I know she'll do it. And you know, the reality is we can help her a little bit if she needs it. And I'm, and I'm not opposed to that. I don't think that going to college is something I ever wanted my kids to do. And the truth is with 10 children, how is that possible? We were, we were never going to fund 10 children going to college, um, mostly because it's not important to us. It doesn't mean we don't want to help them as adults. Although I think, taking the responsibility feels really important on their part. It's not that we can't help with things, but, you know, just the other day, something came up for one of them that they wanted to do. And it was like, well, do you have the money to do that? And I could kind of see in their faces, it was like, oh, I thought you were going to pay for that. I thought you were going to help. And I was like, no, if you really want to do that, like that's on you. So let's get into that a little bit. I know Lauren in particular um, had asked for more specifics around how we deal with money concretely in our house if kids are paid for stuff. And the answer is we have a combination of paid jobs and unpaid jobs in our home. Again, when I was a child, I don't remember doing jobs. Isn't that horrible? I don't remember. Uh, I didn't really have chores. (laughs) I mean, you know, two, two children in a house. It really, there wasn't a lot to do is my sense. Um, 
you know, compared to our house anyways, we have a ton that needs to be done. So I didn't have experience really being paid to do stuff. And I also really wasn't asked to do anything unpaid. So we've been making it up ourselves. For a while in Sedona, we did have people that cleaned the house. Uh, we had the same amazing woman clean the house in Sedona for 15 years. Uh, we moved away from Sedona. We came back. This lady still cleaned our house um, when we got back. Like they were family to us. So that was great and appreciated. And truth be told, it wasn't always that we had like tons of money for that. It just felt important when our kids were little because we didn't feel like they were capable of cleaning a house. And it was disgusting at times with all of these kids and pets. So that was money well spent. However, when we moved to Kentucky, I think I've shared this, we decided the kids needed to take care of the house that we didn't want them to just see that kind of like I did um, growing up, you know, that the way you get a house clean is to pay someone else. So we have Mondays as cleaning day in our house, and everybody chips in, uh, and the whole house gets done and nobody gets paid for that. On top of that, we have daily jobs that are musts. Uh, People don't get paid for that. So we have the kitchen, which let's see, we have divided up, I think, three ways. We have a morning cleanup, an afternoon cleanup, and an after dinner cleanup. And we're not rotating right now, but we used to (laughs) with kids. Um, The kids seem solid in their jobs right now. You know, it sounds funny, but um, it's like, disgruntled workers sometimes for sure. Sometimes they're not very good at it and they're purposely not good at it (laughs) and they complain a lot. But I think we are in a good place right now. Nobody's complaining. Everybody has a job that they are okay with doing and they don't have a choice. But, you know, we wanted to at least get them to a place where they didn't complain too badly about their jobs. So the kitchen is divided up three times a day. Um, there's a person that vacuums the whole downstairs every day because you cannot have this many dogs without that. So um, that's also an unpaid job. And let's see what else. Um, Egan's unpaid jobs when he's home is kind of being the chauffeur. So he drives Tallulah around if she wants to go to the gym. He's the one that grabs water at the store. Uh, He goes grocery shopping. He goes to the tractor store and gets chicken food. So basically any chore we need out, he's happy to do. I mean, as happy as he can be. But I think he's happy to do it because he really likes driving. And um, that's his contribution. So he's not asked to clean anything in the house. It's not his strong suit but he is kind of our driver. So those are the ways that uh, the house kind of runs. And and like I said, nobody is paid for that. And as I have often said to them out loud, why would you get paid for that? I don't get paid for this. (laughs) You know, we made all of you and we love all of you, but like, I don't get paid for feeding you. So um, yeah, you're gonna help out. And if we feel like someone's slacking, um, you know, they're asked to step up and do a better job. Uh, We have been known to kind of take things they like, Um, you know, computer time being the thing in our house, especially for the older kids. And, you know, whatever, whatever anyone wants to think about that, it is sort of a threat. And it's also just reality that if we were all just roommates, we would all chip in. And, you know, if you lived in a house with other roommates, they would get annoyed if you didn't do your stuff and if you did a shitty job doing your stuff. So, 
you know, I won't lie. It's a lot to keep up on. Um, yeah, there are times and days where things aren't done well and, you know, arguments happen and this kitchen division is sometimes tricky because, uh, there's a time at which one person gets on and another person gets off. So there's often arguing about when a, when a plate was put in the sink. And it's so silly, but you know, it's not to them. It's not silly to them. It's just silly to me. And I kind of have been checking out of it more in a sense. I'm like, you guys figure it out, but the plate can't stay in the sink. So, you know, and usually someone comes through uh, with their responsibility. Paid jobs are also a thing because there's so many things going on. And the truth is when you get paid to do something, you do it better. And we have definitely seen that. So if kids are not old enough, oh wait, back to the unpaid jobs, Deva. Um, Deva and Ever both have jobs. Deva lets the chickens out every morning and she's five. So she has an unpaid job. And Ever, who is newly nine, changes the cat litter. So she has to scoop the poop and, you know, throw it out and put new litter in and get the cat's water. So those are some other unpaid jobs. So the youngest child to have a job is five. The three-year-old and the two-year-old are spared at the moment. Um, So back to paid jobs. Yeah, there are things that we want done well. And there are some children in our house that are really great at cleaning and organizing and some that are not. So if they're not doing their unpaid jobs well or at all, for whatever reason, then they don't get the opportunity to have a paid job. Rune is our primary paid <laughs> paid guy because he is meticulous in every way and he is clean and he sort of can't deal when things are a mess. So it actually helps him if you want to believe that. We pay him <laughs> to do things and I think he gets satisfaction out of it because he just can't see in a mess. So he gets paid to, let's see, bring the trash down every week. We live on a giant hill. So he has rigged up this ridiculous way of getting trash cans down on a lawnmower that will have to be filmed for um, further viewing. And his brother, True, does help him for no pay, just because I guess he wants to be a part of the lawnmower riding. So that is a paid job for Rune. And another paid job for Rune is doing my wash and the little girl's wash every week. And I'm fine with paying someone to do that because I don't have to do it. I don't have to fold it. I don't have to mind it. I don't have to put it away. Perfect. And Rune also gets paid to clean the cat room. So we have cats in like a outdoor porch area. They're not allowed in the house. They have a very nice area, but it, it's it's very rustic. Let's put it that way. They have their cat tower, you know, their litter box, um, boxes to hide in. It's not nice, um, but it, it can't get disgusting, right? I don't want cat hair flying around in there and all of that. So once a week, Rune makes it really nice for them, which they seem to appreciate. And he does the floor even and vacuums and all of that. And that feels great because that's kind of like the entry to our house on the side of the house. So it really messes with your mind if that looks like a tornado hit it, which sometimes it does. So I think that's the extent of the paid jobs um, that are regular. There, of course, are many paid jobs that come up that are spontaneous. And the way we keep track of our kids' money that we owe them is kind of like this account system that Jason has going. So we don't actually hand them money. We just keep 
write a running tally, like a spreadsheet of what they're doing and what money they are owed. And then it's kind of like they can redeem that money at different times for different stuff. So maybe they want to buy something online or, um, you know, Egan just flew to Arizona and, you know, he paid for his ticket, but we, we paid for his ticket in a way because he had done paid jobs. So I think that makes sense, right? It's just all kind of like (laughs) imaginary numbers on a screen, which is so weird because it's kind of what money is. And every now and then one of them will ask for cash and, you know, we can make that happen too. And it's always a dad will take it off my list. That's what we call it. We have a list. So they get money added to the list. They get money subtracted from the list. Um, Sometimes they do negotiations within themselves about the list, which we think is sort of hilarious. Like the other day, uh, we don't even quite know what the negotiation was, but Ever did something for Rune or cleaned his room. And then Rune, you know, told Jason to make the adjustments on the list. So they're funny. They have their own little ways of exchanging uh, this sort of imaginary but real money system. And yeah, I guess the worst thing that could happen is they would all ask for (laughs) their money at one time. But hey, that's a bank, right? That's what a bank is doing. Uh, If everybody asks for their money from a bank, it wouldn't be there. So kind of the similar thing with the kids, but they don't need money, right? We're buying them food. Um, I mean, we buy them clothes when they need them. I I don't feel like that's really a big expense. Uh, Truthfully, there's not a lot to do around here. So that's one of my complaining moments about Kentucky, at least for older kids, there's nothing, they're not like going out to movies or doing anything really fun. So we don't really have that expense. Um, So it's kind of rare in a way that they would need money for anything. So again, the older kids are traveling more. That's an expense for sure to buy a plane ticket. But it all seems pretty fluid and it feels pretty good, I think, to everybody. And I think it's teaching them responsibility in a way. Uh, So I think I was going to say if they want to earn money for something, which sometimes they do, then they'll ask, are there any jobs? And we're not obligated to make up a job. Sometimes I have one, sometimes I don't. There are other regular things that happen, like the chicken coops need to be cleaned out. Rune just did that. And he came into my room last night and he was like, how much am I getting paid for that again? And we kind of had a negotiation. I think I lowballed him. And he was like, well, I was down there an hour and a half, like shoveling chicken shit. <laughs> like, okay, I could I could give you a little more then. Uh, but those things are so needed and appreciated. And, you know, I don't think it's taking advantage of having your children. We feed them, we clothe them, we've birthed them, we love them, all of the things. Um, And to pay them, you know, to take care of these things we've agreed on together that we want, like chickens, feels really good to me because I'm not going down there to do that. Uh, I'm not going to have chickens if it means I have to shovel out all the chicken poop. I'm not going to do it. So I'm grateful to the kids for doing it, for not complaining, for, you know, again, being gracious, although they are getting paid with some of that stuff and helping our family go forward. It feels really, really good. I think that's all I have to say about it. Uh, I don't know. Just kids and money, I think, are funny and cute, especially when they're young. Again, uh, they don't have 
a lot of cash around. So I've learned the hard way that that's not a great idea would be my advice because kids lose money all of the time. And this sounds really weird, um, but sometimes it just disappears and I can't understand that. So we've had that happen where, you know, somebody has a hoard of money in their room like I used to when I was a kid and half of it disappears. And I don't know. I mean, little kids take things. That's my best guess. But it's best for them not to have a lot of cash lying around, which is why we have the system we do. And yeah, little kids, I think, are just funny with money. Cove was really excited that she had a handful of coins the other day. And then Rumi wanted a handful of coins. So, you know, they start young in a way, knowing that money is valuable in the ways that it is. And they have to learn just respect and responsibility around it. All right. Well, this is way longer than I thought. So I'm going to sign off on this yucky Sunday and head to the gym. If you have any questions, I'd love to hear them. If you have any amazing Hawaiian connections for me, I would also love to hear them. And I hope you enjoyed this mothering number 10. Have a great week.